join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth that never changes. Our world changes all the time, and what our world thinks changes all the time. What you, cha- what you think never changes. What you've said never changes. What you have promised never changes. Thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, just bless us as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we heard, the Roman soldiers took a cue from the Jewish king Herod Antipas and his treatment of Jesus. In Mark 15, we're told that they they put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again. They struck him on his crowned head with a staff and they spit on him. And falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Over the last couple of weeks, with a number of different people, we've talked about the difference between being humble and being humiliated. Humble means that you have a correct opinion of yourself in the grand cosmic scheme of things. Humble means that you, you don't try to press your own advantage. Humiliated means you're ashamed. They tried to humiliate Jesus. I see nothing in scripture to say that he felt humiliated because he knew who he was. He knew exactly who he was. And even in the midst of them being mocking and being cruel, because people will tend to be as cruel as they think they can get away with. They're trying to be cruel and as mocking and as cruel as they're trying to be, they still crowned him. They still robed him in purple and they still called him a king and paid homage to him. John 19 says that when Jesus came out wearing this crown of thorns and this purple robe, beaten and bloodied by the flogging, and we've talked about that, it's more than just just a whipping. People died from flogging. Flogging was a horror. There were rules as to how many times you could beat someone in flogging because if you beat them too many times, they would die. He was beaten within an inch of his life before he ever even came upon the cross. And he was trussed up for public humiliation, but still, technically, dressed as a king. Hailed as a king by the soldiers and the pagans, brought to an elevated place and presented to the crowd as a king. Pilate said to them, here's the man. Look, behold, look what we've done to him. That should be enough. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate actually did try to save Jesus, to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. And anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. I wonder if Herod Antipas heard them say that. But Pilate did. And when he heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in Aramaic, Gabbatha, the elevated place. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, somewhere a little before noon. Nobody actually had a clock. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews, again. Jesus, the cusp of his crucifixion, dressed and hailed as the king, presented to the crowd as a king, 
No matter who thought they had the authority, no matter who thought they had the power in this entire set of trials, whether that's Pilate or Caiaphas or even Peter thinking he could change things, God kept making sure that the truth got spoken. And if it wouldn't be spoken by Christ's disciples because they ran, and it wouldn't be spoken by God's priests because they broke his own law, then it will be spoken by a pagan Roman governor. It will be spoken by his mocking soldiers because if they wouldn't say it, then the rocks themselves would say it. But God made sure it was said. But God's people shouted, no, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate said, again, how many times has Pilate called him king in this story? Half a dozen already? Over and over again. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. God should have been their king. But hating Jesus was more important to them than following God. Because hatred does that, right? You let yourself hate, and hate becomes the most important thing. And it twists everything else until everything else is just a subset of hate. These are the same people, the same voices amongst the crowd that, that less than a week ago were shouting back in Matthew, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. We look at you and we call you the Savior. We call you the King. We call you the Messiah. In Luke we're told, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is God's King sent from God, God's promised Messiah, bringing peace to the people, glorifying God's name. That's what they shouted on Sunday. But by Friday, that's all forgotten. Because anger, bitterness, disappointment, hatred turns everything else into a subset of them. It wasn't what they wanted. He was the Messiah. He was the king. But he didn't meet their expectations. They wanted a king who was a lion. What they got was a lamb who was a king. And Jesus Christ wasn't good enough for them. Nothing could have possibly been good enough for people that felt that strongly. In John 19, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat. And he said, here is your king. How many times? Here is your king, I'm telling you. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. So finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took charge of Jesus and carrying his own cross, at least as long as far as he could, because we're told by Dr. Luke that as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way home from the country, put the cross on him, made him carry it. For all we know, he had no idea what was going on, just happened to be walking through the crowd. But it tells you how bad the flogging was. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a stonemason. He was a, somebody who worked with his hands. Jesus was a powerful man. And these guys certainly wouldn't have wanted to make it easy for him. They didn't mind seeing him strain with his cross. The only reason they would have picked Simon out of the crowd and said, you carry it, 
is because he physically couldn't carry it any further. And no Roman was going to pick that up. John 19, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. And what was it that Dr. Luke tells us? He said, as they were crucifying, as they were driving nails through his flesh into the wood, what did he say? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no clue what they're doing. They're certain what they do, but they have no clue what they're doing. Who has sinned against you in your life? Who has done something so heinous to you that you can't forgive them? When Jesus could forgive the guys laughing as they nail him to the cross, mocking him as they spit on him, Who has sinned against me so much that bitterness is justified? Holding a grudge makes sense. I had a pastor growing up that had kind of a backhanded statement to make about forgiveness. He used to say, it's not forgiveness if they deserve it. Which can be applied two different ways. Number one, if what they did wasn't wrong... You don't have to forgive them because they didn't do anything wrong. Let it go. There's no reason to be holding on to your frustration. And those of us that say, I know, I know, I know, they didn't do anything bad, but I'm still frustrated. You have no right. Let it go. And if they did truly do something wrong, if you truly have to forgive them, then by definition, they don't deserve that forgiveness. By definition, you don't forgive people who are shining examples of right. You forgive people who have sinned against you. You forgive people who don't deserve your forgiveness. You forgive people who are in desperate need of unmerited favor applied to their lives because they don't deserve it. The idea of saying that somebody deserves your forgiveness is illogical. If they deserved your forgiveness, you don't need to forgive them. You should never have held anything against them. It's those who don't deserve your forgiveness who desperately need your forgiveness. So who's done what to me? Who's done what to you that is so much worse than what Christ forgave on that Good Friday? Think about what happened next. Think about the, the mindset and how Jesus faced his trials here at the cross and how he reacted. In Luke 23, we're told that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you... Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you God's special one, God's chosen one, God's anointed one? Save yourself and us. That's your whole point, right? You came to seek and save the lost. The whole point is you came to be a savior, right? We could use a little salvation right now. I want you to do something. He's mocking him angrily. Clearly he didn't believe which means now we have an unbeliever calling him a savior. We have an unbeliever calling him the Christ. But the other criminal rebuked him. They said, wait, don't you fear God? He said, since, you, since you're under the same sentence, because think about the philosophy that this guy has. He says, we are punished justly. 
We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. We don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve this punishment. And he doesn't deserve the punishment. He's done nothing to forgive. We get what we deserve in this life, not grace. We get what we deserve. The guilty should be punished and the innocent should never suffer. That's the way it should be. And any system that doesn't do it that way is patently unfair. Any system that lets the innocent suffer or lets the guilty go unpunished is clearly unfair, isn't it? Part of why people have such a problem thinking that God is still loving and fair when bad stuff seems to happen to seemingly good people. It's also why people have a lot of problems understanding why a loving, fair God should let his own son suffer, his genuinely innocent son suffer, to take the punishment that should have been on the guilty. It's not fair that he should suffer while they go free. And they're absolutely right. And that is something that we need to wrap our heads around. Beloved, they're right. God isn't fair. He's good. He isn't fair because he loves so completely. Praise God when people shake their fists and say, it's not fair. Praise God. He took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. That is not fair. It's grace. It's love. I seem to remember Jesus telling his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. It's not fair. It's grace. Unmerited favor. It's love. And in these final moments, as Jesus looked on those who were nailing his hands and feet to the cross, as Jesus looked at those who stripped him and beat him, and Jesus looked at those who spat on him and called him names, he looked at those and saw empty fig trees. Spiteful mockers. As Jesus looked at them, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And as he faced the trials of the cross, and as he looked at those people killing him, he saw friends who were lost. Because there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are your brothers and sisters. And those who you wish could be. If we think that's true, did Jesus think any less true of that on the cross? He looked on these people and he said, you are my friends. He looked at Judas and said, friend. The criminal crucified next to him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I don't know what he was expecting, but everything we get from him suggests he wasn't expecting forgiveness because he thinks he's getting what he deserved. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise.
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's your kingdom too. Because you're my friend. And as of right now, you're my brother. My kingdom? Yes. But you'll be with me in paradise. It's your kingdom too. No one is so bad that they're worse than Jesus is good. No one's sin is so heinous that Jesus cannot forgive it because it's too icky. No one's sin against you is so heinous that you can't forgive it because it's too icky. Shame says that you're broken and therefore you are unlovable. Grace says, I love you and I know you're broken. And love says, because you're broken, let's work to help mend you. I won't leave you broken. And in all this, Jesus commanded his followers at that last supper. He commanded all of us on Maundy Thursday. He commanded all of us a new command I give you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Everything you see me do, do. Every, every amount of love I extend, you do. Live like you see me living. Do that. If you are moved by the profundity of Christ's love, move in direction of it. Love that way. Paul even tells us later on in, in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And he has forgiven you everything and washed you clean of everything. So tonight you face your trial. You face the cross. Will you accept Christ's forgiveness? Will you extend forgiveness to both kinds of people in the world? Because there are only two. John 19, 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the primary charge against him. Again, how many times has Pilate said this? And he, he typed it three times and put it over his head in every language that everybody could read. In fact, it was offensive. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. And the chief priests and the Jews protested to Pilate and they said, no, 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 no don't write that he's king of the Jews, but that this man only claimed to be king of the Jews. It's not a description, it's a charge. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. I'm not taking it down. An unbelieving criminal called Jesus Christ and asked him to save. And Jesus saved. Unbelieving soldiers crowned Jesus and robed him and paid him homage. And Jesus still saves those who believe. An unbelieving governor called Jesus the king over, 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 posted it over and over. And he was absolutely right. Because Jesus 
was our Messiah, our Christ. Jesus was our Savior. Jesus is our brother. Jesus is the pathfinder of new life. Jesus is our Lord and our King. He is our sovereign. He has the right to command. And he said, as I have loved you, love one another. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Let me encourage you. You've been given little red pieces of paper. If you're a Christian, if Christ has washed you clean for your sins, praise God. If you're not a Christian, if you've never asked him to wash you clean from your sins, what a perfect night to do that. Thief on the cross did that. Let me encourage you, if there's anything, if there's anything that the Lord lays on your heart, if there's anything that you say, I should totally leave this at the foot of the cross. If there's a sin that you struggle to let go of, if there's a bitterness, if there's an unforgiveness that you won't, can't let go of, if there's, if there's a lifestyle, if there's a mindset, if there's a, if there's a heart issue that you say, I don't want this, this doesn't honor you. If there's anything in your life that says this doesn't love the way Christ loves, write it on here. Fold it over, bring it up to the cross, and leave it there. If you're a Christian, you've been washed clean from this, but you need to let it go. You need to let it go and leave it there. If there's guilt and pain and frustration and fear and self-loathing or loathing of someone else, that's not loving as Christ loves. Leave it on the cross and walk away clean knowing that you're clean. Consider it when Jesus would heal a leper, or heal a woman with blood and say, now go, you're already clean, but show yourself to the priests so that you know that you're clean. If you're a Christian, you've been washed, but know that you have and let this go. Your king commanded it. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you do in us. I thank you that you are not even remotely fair, but that you love us so completely, so selflessly. And you forgive us because we don't deserve it. Help us to forgive those in our lives who don't deserve it, including ourselves. And help us to walk away from the foot of the cross, desiring to carry it with us every day. Leave the, leave the sin there, but take the cross with us and live like people who want to honor you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Be glorified. Amen.